Welcome back to the program. Although the providence is somewhat sketchy, it's often been said that show business is high school with money. The point being that the battles, the clicks, the backstabbing, and yes, even the deal-making that consume Hollywood are often the same skill sets that are required for a successful high school career. However, my guest journalist Michael Sokolov has found another more important link, a group of high school students and a remarkable teacher who turns all this around and brings the positive things of show business into high school. A sense of participation, an appreciation for narrative and story, a kinship and a bigger cause, and a need to reach deep inside ourselves to do good work. If only we all had had that teacher. Well, Michael Sokolov did, and he returned to his high school in Levittown, Pennsylvania, to tell us the story of Drama High. Michael Sokolov is a contributing writer for the New York Times Magazine. He's the author of three previous books. It is my pleasure to welcome him back to this program to talk about his newest work, Drama High, the incredible true story of a brilliant teacher, a struggling town, and the magic of theater. Michael Sokolov, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you. Good to have you here. Tell us a little bit about what this program was like when you were in school. Well, you know, I, I'm, I have to say I was in school a long time ago, and it was just getting started back then. The teacher, Lou Volpe, was a young teacher and a, and a brilliant teacher. He was my English teacher. Um, but he, he was running the theater program, but over time in this industrial town, this steel town that has since lost its steel mill, as the whole town was going to pieces, this theater program was rising and becoming probably the best theater program at any public high school in the United States, except for, you know, true performing arts high schools. Mm -hmm. And it became the high school that New York producers would go to when they wanted to see if a play would work in a high school setting. And they came to him to pilot high school versions of Rent, of Les Miserables, and then Spring Awakening. So it's just this landmark program and astonishing success in a place you wouldn't look for it necessarily. When Volpe started this program, what was his vision for it? He certainly couldn't have imagined it, it blossoming into the kind of program that it ultimately did with people, as you say, like Cameron McIntosh and others visiting the school. What did he see this program doing at the very beginning? You know, I don't think he saw anything particularly. He is a teacher at heart and, and has remained a teacher. And he is largely self-taught. And one of the great things, I think, uh, one of the great lessons in this book is the power of people to, to see something for themselves and, and sort of teach themselves. I mean, he went to summer theater programs at Northwestern uh, and elsewhere, and he sort of grew along with his vision. He was a theater lover and aficionado, but he hadn't been an actor. He hadn't been a director. And still, you know, he would see himself as a high school teacher, but he had some, some gifts, you know, a great visual eye, a, a way of, of seeing his, his, his way through stories and narrative and language. And he just brought all this to bear on a high school level in a way that became remarkable and was viewed from the outside as remarkable. But mostly he remained, you know, a teacher, and his venue for teaching was the stage. Given all the people from Broadway that visited the school over the years, were there ever attempts to recruit Volpe and bring him to Broadway, or bring him to Hollywood for that matter? You know, I think that people talked about that. I don't know how serious it was. He certainly could have gone to high schools that were more privileged high schools. 
Um, but he stayed at this high school in this steel town for 44 years. And I think that speaks to his character. I mean, these were his people. He was a working-class kid whose father owned a bar in South Philadelphia. So his gift and his vision and his mission in life, you know, were all in this little town. And, and these were his people, and, and this is what he wanted to do and what he did so beautifully. And in many ways, he looked at this program as really a special place for the for the kids in this school. I think you you talk about it as kind of a laboratory in many ways for a lot of these kids. Talk a little about that. Well, these were kids who, as you say, were the, ran the gamut of students in the school academically, and they were all touched by theater. You know, theater touches our sense of language, of musicality, of play, our visual sense. And what he had was attracting some kids who were not all that successful in the classroom, including one young woman who was in special education, and she could not sort of master large amounts of information in any other setting. But in the theater, she could master, you know, pages and pages of dialogue and was named one of the top actresses in in the state of Pennsylvania at a big theater festival. And it was just beautiful to see, and it just shows you that you know, we need a broad um, view of education. We need to teach everything because some kids are caught uh, or or are touched by different parts of, of of the menu, as it were. And if we're just going to be very narrow and, and teach what's on the test, we're going to lose a lot of kids. How did he view this in terms of its ability to bring literature and art to the students within the context of this theater program? Well, he did very edgy material. He did material that many other high schools will not touch. We think of Rent perhaps as mainstream now. Most high schools don't. Very few high schools even now have done Rent. One of the things that I came to see was that these students were not scared of this. They had difficult lives themselves. They knew pain. They knew conflict. They knew disappointment. Sometimes they knew failure. They had seen it in their own homes. They had seen, you know, marriages that might not have lasted. They had seen their parents' cars repossessed in the middle of the night. You know, all this stuff. Um, so they weren't afraid of things on stage that that were difficult or that had some sadness. And I think in more privileged communities with their children, we tend to want to protect our children some of the, you know, from, from all that's bad in the world. Some of the things that Lou Volpe did at Truman High School would scare more privileged children. These, these kids in Levittown, you couldn't scare them. They'd already seen it. To what extent did he push the envelope with these kids and, and really try to get them to do more than they thought they were capable of? Every day. <laughs> you know, every single day. I think that was the whole point of the program okay, this is good, let's take it a little farther. Okay, that's better, let's, let's, let's see where we can go with it. I mean, that was every day at this high school. One day I was there toward the end of a production, and he said, all right, that was great. He said this at the end of a rehearsal. That was great. You guys have gotten so good that every mistake you make has a spotlight on it. And I thought that was just such a beautiful way 
of giving praise while making a demand. And that's what he did day after day after day. It was never good enough. And that's, of course, what a teacher does. He says, or she says, it's not good enough, yet that is said in a way that is also loving. It's, it's, it's gives you security. You're already great, but you can be better. And that's why I say that he is a teacher. You know, that's what teachers do. It's not like a chef in a kitchen, you know, the stereotypical chef where you're just yelling at people and browbeating them. That certainly wasn't the case, but he was driving them forward every single day. And one of the things that's so amazing about this school is the kids that were part of this program were looked on the way athletes are often looked on in most high schools today. They're the stars of this high school. Now, it always helps if you don't have a great football team. And this, this school certainly does not have a great football team. But the theater program at Harry Truman High School is the place to be because, you know, as I wrote, Lou Volpe was like the football coach, the winning football coach on some down-on-its-luck Ohio or Texas town. This is a community that's starved for success, that's starved for recognition, that's really looked down upon by many of its neighbors. And this theater program was where, if you were involved in it, you know, you, you basked in a certain amount of glory, and people thought, wow, you're part of Harry Truman drama. You know, you must be really good. And in the Philadelphia area, where this school is, it doesn't have a very good reputation. When these children would travel to theater festivals, they were thought of as stars. Everybody would say, oh, the Truman kids are here. What are they doing? And it was such an empowering feeling for them to leave, you know, the place they were and be viewed as privileged somewhere else. And, you know, a lot of the kids at these other theater festivals had no idea where they had come from. One of the boys in in a show uh, that they did at, at a big theater festival, and it, it involved some dialect. And uh, a kid from another school said to him, who's your diction coach? And he said, what's a diction coach? Because, you know, these kids had all kinds of advantages that uh, the, the actors and actresses at Harry S. Truman did not. One of the things that you talk about that Volpe tried to do is bring some of the athletes into the theater program as well. Talk about that. You know, in, in long be, long before uh, Glee made a storyline yeah. out of whether an athlete would be in a show, they were in shows at this high school, you know, for the last 20 years or so. And Lou Volpe found that he liked working with them. They knew about teamwork. They knew about poise. They had a certain way of moving their bodies uh, that they had been trained in sports, so he felt he could work with them. But the beautiful thing is that he could attract them into his shows, and at times they stayed in their sport. At times they decided, you know what, theater is where I want to be. Uh, and the, in the years that I followed the program and, and was researching the book, there was one young man who was going to be the, you know, the anchor of the defensive line, you know, big, tough kid. And finally he said, you know what, I'm not feeling football, I'm feeling theater. And he just fully devoted himself to theater. Now, the one thing I would add about him, and I think this is an important point to make about the program, he had opportunities to go right from high school into professional acting. He was very gifted, and he decided that he was, A, going to go to college, and B, he was interested in law enforcement. And I can't think of any better training for a police officer or someone in law enforcement than the empathy that you learn in theater, the teamwork you learn in theater, the ability to imagine some other life 
than your own. And now he may drift back into acting, but he'll have that if he goes into law enforcement. And the qualities that are learned in theater, you know, you can take them anywhere. And I think that was the big point of this program, not to train professional actors, but to make human beings, to make us whole. As Lou often said, I seek to educate children rather than just train them. And when you educate children in the arts and, and give them a, an education that's, that's really nourishing, uh, you can go out and, and, and live a better life. I really believe that. What did he see in terms of the academic impact on some of these students from participating in this program? Well, I think some students certainly wanted to be in school, wanted to show up, wanted to uh, participate in their in their academics more than they would have. First of all, as in many extracurriculars, you've got to keep a 2.0 average uh, to be in theater at this high school. So for those who were struggling, it certainly gave them that motivation. Just generally... You know, all of the research, all of the brain science shows the participation in the arts transfers into other subjects. You know, the theater is what educators call a language-rich environment. To truly master a part, you have to research the time and the place and the context of who your character is. You have to deal with the dialogue. You've got to do research outside that play. The benefits of that are are vast and and they're obvious and they're and and they're rich. So uh, I can't tell you that yes, all of them, uh, you know, bettered their grades than they would have had. I don't I don't think this program was studied that way, but I think we can assume that. But it certainly gave them seemingly a confidence that helped them in whatever else they were doing in school. They all felt that way, you know. To when I spent time with these teenagers, and I and I spent time over two years with them, they all felt like they were changed. They felt like this program had made them more like the people that they were meant to be. There was another, you know, we talked about athletes. There was a young man who was an all-conference baseball player. He continued playing. He was a pro prospect, and he said, "This program changed me. I've." sang on stage, I've danced on stage. I just didn't even realize that those things were within me. Now, he's going to have that all his life. You know, he's going to know that he has an artistic side. He's going to know that he has a side of himself that will take risks, that will get outside of his comfort zone. We can't measure those things in standardized tests. We can't measure them in how much money someone's going to make over the course of their lifetime. We can't measure them in how happy they're going to be or what kind of marriage they're going to be in. But I, I truly believe that that it pays dividends in, in all of those ways. You were talking before about the fact that it might have been more difficult in some ways to do this in a wealthier and more privileged community. Talk a little bit about the nexus between this program, the way it evolved with Volpe, and the community of Levittown, Pennsylvania. The community of Levittown, Pennsylvania, and I grew up there, was a very successful working-class community back in the 60s and 70s. There was a steel mill that employed 10,000 men, and it was almost all men, and they made tremendous amounts of money. 
you know they had they they had second homes in in the Pocono Mountains. They had RVs in their driveway. So, you know, this was for a time it was a happening place. Levittown is the prototypical American suburb, and then it went into decline. And it is a socially conservative community. Sometimes uh, a community that we refer to as Reagan Democrats. You know, they're they're late adopters, not early adopters. Yet Volpe brought them around to really avant-garde theater. It's the most unlikely thing. And it's really a measure of his success. It's a measure of the quality of the productions that he was putting on and his ability to inspire this community's children. You know, as the community was declining, they looked to him and said, well, we like what you're doing. We may not even fully understand what you're doing, but our children love it, and it's bringing, you know, the kind of recognition to this community that it rarely gets. So it was, there was tremendous amount of trust uh, and gratefulness given to Lou Volpe for what he was doing in this community that otherwise was was really in decline. And it's interesting that in a community where the parents might have been more involved, it might have been more problematic to carry this on. I think without a doubt. You know, I live in Bethesda, Maryland now, which is very different mm. from the community I grew up in in Levittown. And here, you know, parents are, are in their children's lives, you know, moment to moment, uh, hour to hour. Uh, they're in the schools. They're, they they want to know what's being taught. Uh, they want to change what's being taught. And... That's not the case in Levittown. People are working two or three jobs just just to just to get by. Two or three not very good jobs. Volpe, there's a whole educational component of the theater program. He teaches theater courses. You know, theater one, two, three, and musical theater. These are not AP courses. There is no advanced placement theater that exists. Um, so, a lot of kids at Truman take all four of these courses. In a lot of other communities, including the one I live in now, parents would say, well, what credential comes out of these theater courses? It's not an AP credit. You know, what will it do for my son or daughter in terms of getting into a highly selective college? You know, what, where does it go on the resume? Because that's the world that a lot of people live in now. You know, we have turned our children into um, little adults who accumulate credentials as they go. The credential that comes with being in this theater program is not that kind of credential. It's about sort of learning and growing in a very old-fashioned way. But it's not, uh, you know, and it's it's not it's not the mark on the college application, though. That's not its intent. Tell us a little bit about Brandon and Justin, the two boys that, in many ways, are central characters. Well, these are the these are the characters uh, these are the character names in Good Boys and True, which was one of the plays that I followed. Mm-hmm. And the basic story of this play is the golden boy athlete at a prep school meets a girl at a mall, a public school girl, and on the very day he meets her, um, picks her up and goes to someone's house and has sex with her, and secretly films it. And this sets the story into motion. It's a scandal uh, in the school. It's a scandal in the community. 
and the the school splinters, a, a gay relationship between two boys is revealed. You know, it's a whole sordid mess. And by the way, it's the kind of thing that can and and has happened in American high school. So this was great piece of theater to choose to put on at a high school. But it's also the kind of theater that virtually no director at a high school in America would dare put on a high school stage. Lou put it on a high school stage. He said, you know what? This is a great play to show to my kids. First of all, I'm going to show them how the other half lives at a privileged school. I'm going to show them the consequences of some of these actions and and how they're worked out. And uh, And I'm going to push the envelope a little bit. I'm going to stir the pot because I also enjoy doing that. So this was the play, one of the plays that he did while I was there. And the other great thing about, and I think he was always looking for this, it allowed high school-aged actors to play high school-aged plots, or parts, rather. It allowed them to play roles, you know, their own age. And those aren't always available. You know, when you think about all the uh, favorites among plays that, that high schools do, Our Town and you can't take it with you, and all these very dated plays. You know, you have high school kids playing adults, and uh, it's a little bit more of a of a stretch for them. He's often looking for these coming-of-age dramas in which they're playing people their own age, and that also has a very powerful effect for him. What happens to this program now that he is retired? Well, it's been taken over by his former student and now... Uh, his, the woman who was his longtime assistant director, a woman named Tracy Krauss, who I referred to in the book as a profane den mother. <laughs> you know, she's very different than him. Uh, you know, he was sort of uh, ice. She's fire. You know, she's this great, tough-talking Levittown chick, you know, working class to the core. I think she's very gifted, and I think she's going to do fantastic but we'll have to see as it goes on. She's got some very big shoes to fill. But uh, I love her, and, and for me, and she was a terrific character for, for any nonfiction writer. You come across someone like her and you say, wow, thank you for being there, and thank you for being a character in my book because she was wildly entertaining. And she was so entertaining that it took me just a little bit to realize that she is also brilliant. And she trained you know, with Lou Volpe, and I, and I think she'll be a very worthy successor. In addition to all the people from Broadway that, that have come to look at this program, what about people from other high schools and other places around the country? Have they come to, to look at this and the work that Volpe has done? Yes. You know, certainly within the area, within the Philadelphia area, there were always directors and students from other high schools who would come to see these plays. And they liked Lou. They... Uh, certainly it's a small world, uh, and, and there may have been sometimes some jealousies involved. And I, and I think that one of the things that may have created some envy is that he did plays that their school administrations simply would not let them do. And I know that a lot of high school directors sat there, and they felt very happy that this was going on in Levittown, Pennsylvania, but, but feeling, why can't we do this? And they said that sometimes. I was there with the Truman kids when they did Good Boys and True at a theater festival. And one of the teachers came in afterward from another high school, and, and she was overwhelmed at the quality of it. But she also said, you know, I could never do this at my high school. 
Michael Sokolov. The book is Drama High, the incredible true story of a brilliant teacher, a struggling town, and the magic of theater. It's just out from Riverhead Books. Michael, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. <laughs> 